is an Odyssey original. This is KNX in Depth. I'm Rob Archer. And I'm Charles Feldman. How much do you like water? Water is good. It I is think good. it's a good thing. It I is. do enjoy it. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I drink it occasionally. From time to time. I wash my car every now and then. Yeah. You know, I, I do bathe in it I shower with water. Yeah. So we all like water. But maybe we're going to get too much. A huge storm now hitting much of California. We're getting rain down here right now. You may have noticed with the worst of it expected tonight, tomorrow morning as well. Now, this follows storms that hit late last month, and it comes before more expected storms on the way soon. So we are going to go in-depth into what this means for the drought. Remember that? And will these storms make a difference? Oh, talking about a difference, none in the House of Representatives. Still, it is chaos. Kevin McCarthy losing more than twice today. What are they up to, like? I mean, six. Yeah, okay. Six. Uh, just yeah, he's both. lost the sixth. Yeah, yeah, it keeps, wow. And it's headed, uh, it, it looks like they don't yet have enough to make the guy Speaker of the House. He's wanted the job for a long time. So far, he's not getting it. We'll have to see what happens with that. And a term is being coined, by the way for a new economic situation, and it isn't good, but it isn't quite a recession either, (laughs) we're going to tell you what it is. Facebook's parent company has been uh, smacked with some hefty fines from Europe over its personalized ads. That raises questions about what Meta is doing with your personal information and if Congress here will wind up doing something. Speaking of social media, a new study finds it is not so good for teens who spend way too much time on it. This is another in our long series of you teens and your loud rock and roll stories. Uh, we'll tell you exactly what the study found. By the way, on, on the Facebook thing, you're talking about if Congress here is going to do something. When has ever Congress <laughs> done anything? So. And, and even less so right now. Yeah. Okay, but we are going to start, though, as we promised, with California's winter storms and the drought. State climatologist Michael Anderson from the California Department of Water Resources is with us. Michael, thanks for being with us. Good afternoon. Happy to be here. So as we pointed out, we're going to get a lot of water down here. Uh, There's been a lot of water up north as well in the state. But the real question, I think, uh, long term, is what, if anything, is this going to do to bring us out of the horrible drought situation that we find ourselves in? It is cause for improvement. So uh, first and foremost, we see the river levels come up. So uh, more water in the rivers is a good thing until it gets to be too much. And we, that is a problem when you get all these storms in real close succession, uh, that you do end up with flooding conditions. Uh, we do see some storage recovery in the surface reservoirs, which is a good thing. Uh, what we're watching now is the pivot from drought recovery to flood control actions at some of the smaller reservoirs. The really big ones like Shasta and Orville still have a long way to go. Uh, a lot of storage to capture uh, to get back up to their full uh, conservation pool amounts. We seem to be going through these cycles of, you know, we've got these long droughts punctuated by brief periods of, of some strong wet weather that helps the situation, but, you know, it doesn't solve it. Uh, what, if anything, can we do to maybe like put money in the in the savings account as far as the water is concerned? Well, it's um, looking at, you know, a portfolio of uh, source options for um, the water districts, uh, waters managed locally in California, and looking at where they have their options for sources uh, for water. Now, if we look at uh, the governor put out a document in August, uh, really talking about developing some more elements of that portfolio, and uh, efforts like that do help get us uh, help us take advantage of the wet times that they're here 
but help us get through those uh, dry times that tend to be longer and more pronounced. Yeah, you know, I was going to say, I, I, and remind me, I don't remember if it was last year or was it the year before, when we had a, a period of, of a lot of rain and then it just was dry from month after month after month. And that could happen again now, right? I mean, we have this rain now, but we could end up with months of of dryness. And isn't the problem that people tend to look at a day like today and they go, ah, oh, it's raining, what drought? Yes, the uh, experience of the immediate is, is a big deal, um, but it is a trick that we need that sustained uh, a full winter that looks like winter uh, to really help ease those drought conditions. And yeah, last year, you know, we were off to a great start, but got to New Year's and 150% of our snowpack. Uh, things were looking great, and then everything shut off for three months. Uh, it's really hard when that's your main time where your water arrives. This year looks at least a little better for the next couple of weeks with this kind of um, continuing parade of storms. Uh, the trick there then becomes managing the hazard. Right. W- were you going to say, I have a feeling you were going to say, I, I wish I hate the term atmospheric river, and I think you stopped yourself from saying it. Am I right? <laughs> well, no, I actually like the you term. Like the term? You like the term, yeah. yeah I, I've actually worked with the community yeah. uh, for about 15 years on it. Yeah. The term actually originates with the satellite views first came on showing how water vapor moves right um across the planet and uh but can't can't you guys just say a lot of rain well yeah we can say a lot of rain too (laughs) this doesn't sound as cool though i know i know it's you gotta have jargon or nothing means anything (laughs) (laughs) all right okay Uh, thanks a lot Uh, state climatologist uh, michael anderson from the california department of water resources right now though the house is not just divided it's an actual mess Kevin McCarthy has now failed uh, just about six times in his bid to become speaker. Three times yesterday, three now. Jonathan Lemire is with us. He's the White House Bureau Chief for Politico and host of MSNBC's morning news show way too early. He's also author, by the way, of the book The Big Lie, Election Chaos, Political Opportunism, and the State of American Politics After 2020. Jonathan, thanks for being with us. Glad to be here. So, uh, I mean, talk I mean. To say it's a mess is is an understatement, so I'm not quite sure what the best word is to describe the situation at the House right now. Have you come up with one that you're comfortable with? I mean, certainly chaos would apply. Uh, there's no question that Republicans are in disarray uh, right now. As you mentioned, uh, Kevin McCarthy, who has wanted to be House Speaker for many years, uh, thought he had the opportunity to do so. Um, Republicans taking control of the House as of yesterday. Uh, their margin slim. He could only afford to lose four votes. He came in knowing that there were five against him. And it turned out there's been quite a few more than that. We are now, as you say, six ballots in. Uh, he, the numbers high hovering around 19 or 20 Republicans uh, opposing his bid. So therefore, without a speaker, technically, we don't even have a House of Representatives right now. The House of Representatives does not has not yet been gaveled in a session. We don't have one at this moment. That shows you how chaotic things are. And what does it say about uh, we talk about the declining influence of Donald Trump in the party? He's still a, an outsized influence, some would argue. But, you know, for years he he kept pushing to, hey, Republicans need to dump Mitch McConnell. But but the Senate Republicans would not do that simply because Mitch McConnell wins for Senate Republicans. He gets stuff for the party done. And then uh, t- I think earlier today he came out with a very strong endorsement of, hey, vote, make Kevin McCarthy speaker, close the deal. Let's move ahead. But it did not 
move one single vote in the House toward Kevin McCarthy. So when or if is Donald Trump done? Yeah, the McCarthy-Trump relationship here is interesting. Of course, McCarthy was a a faithful uh, supporter of Trump while Trump was in office. Some would argue he's even prostrated himself in front of Trump a number of times. Uh, He went down. It was his visit to Mar-a-Lago in late January of 2021, uh, in which sort of opened the door for Trump to have returned to the good graces of the Republican Party after the January 6th insurrection. In fact, McCarthy even apologized to Trump then uh, for speaking harshly to him during the riot because he knew he would need Trump's support down the road. Trump dangled his endorsement in front of him for a while, but as you say, uh, has come out in recent weeks pretty strongly for McCarthy, uh, publicly said so. And then today in this Truth Social post, uh, said enough's enough with the drama. It's time to reunite behind McCarthy. And that hasn't happened yet. So that's A, bad for McCarthy. But B, as you say, one wonders what this means for Trump, who certainly is still a huge voice in the Republican Party. And we've all learned uh, to not count him out because he seems to have a knack for political resurrection. But he's on a real losing streak here. You said the word winning when it came to McConnell. And that's the biggest part here. Republicans have seemingly soured on Trump, at least somewhat. And it's not because of the stunts at Mar-a-Lago or even the dinner with the white supremacist, but because it was his candidates who lost during November's midterm. And he is taking the blame for that. And it seemed like he couldn't move the needle at all today. Okay, so talking about losing the big losers in the end, the American public, right? Because before we just figured it was going to be a a battle for the next couple of years between the uh, the by slim majority, a Democrat controlled Senate and the Republican controlled House with a Democrat, of course, in the White House. But now you also have this great division within the Republican Party itself being played out in this uh, selection process for speaker. And regardless of what eventually happens with the selection of a speaker of the House, doesn't this just promise that uh, for the next couple of years, nothing, I mean, nothing is likely to get done? Yeah, this is this whole episode is offering a worrisome preview of the next two years. As you say, I mean, ambitions were already pretty low uh, in terms of agenda legislation getting through a divided Washington. There was some hope for a bipartisan agreement here or there, um, but but no no great expectation of a lot. But now there's real concerns here that, that as you say, not only will nothing get done, but there could be crisis around the corner. That if the Republicans are in such gridlock there in the House, and if they're the different factions, including some on the real extreme right, uh, are constantly at war with each other, they may not be able to get consensus on things like funding the government or the, the nation's debt limit. Uh, and if that doesn't happen, that would be big trouble uh, for the, the national finances and credit ratings. So there, there is a lot of people, and, and to be clear, on both sides of the aisle, moderate Republicans, as well as a number of Democrats who are watching this you know, unfold over the last 24 to 36 hours, maybe a little schadenfreude from McCarthy, but really expressing great concern about what it could mean going forward. All right, Jonathan Lemire, uh, he's the White House Bureau Chief for Politico and host of MSNBC's morning show, Way Too Early. And still ahead, Facebook might have to change its advertising strategy following a big decision in Europe. And too much social media might be changing the brains. Yes, you heard that right. The brains of our teenagers will explain. Right now, though, there are uh, worries by many economists that the U.S. is going to hit a recession this year. But Moody's analytics says not quite. 
There's a new term for this, too. It's called a slow session. I, n- I never heard of that. Did you? It's a new word. It is. Brand new. And I'm, I'm betting right now we're going to hear it a lot. Slow. What is it again? Slow session. Slow session. Not a recession. No, but slow. Slow session. Like in slow. Exactly. Okay. Uh, with us to explain what that means and what we can expect if it happens is Chris Doritas, Deputy Chief Economist at uh, Moody's Analytics. Thank you uh, so much for being here today to explain to us what this means. So can you explain to us what this means? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So a slow session is a a term I coined uh, to capture an economy that clearly isn't expanding. It's not growing, but it's also not contracting significantly. Right. So you have little to no growth in in a slow session, job losses in some industries, uh, a pullback in spending and investment. So clearly things are slowing down. Things are not. uh, It doesn't feel comfortable, but you don't have the kind of significant widespread or prolonged uh, downturn that would be consistent with a with a typical recession so it's kind and of so like it's somewhere in between that. so it's kind of like a baby recession yeah mild so it gets blurry between a mild recession and a slow session so so, so how worried should we be about a slow session or a slow what is it a slow session or slow what was it slow, slow session. session so <laughs> session slow it's hard to say slow session how worried should we be if we can't even pronounce it well uh i think the worry is that a slow session could uh turn into a a, an actual recession um but i I think a slow session is the most likely outcome so i think it's not so much about being worried but being prepared uh for for the next year so we do do expect to see growth in the economy slowing certain industries are going to get hit hard right so if you're in home building or construction you know slow session is doesn't even cover it it is a recession so there are definitely pockets of the economy where you're feeling um, feeling the pain, uh, but there are a number of uh, more positive aspects to the economy that would avoid us going into a, a deeper recession unless some some other type of shock were to hit us. So now I'd is, be worried, but not overly concerned. Is part of that because of the fact that the, you know job growth uh, job growth is still uh, with us? We, we're still we're we're not doing as badly as as we keep fearing that we're going to do on the employment front. That that's absolutely right. So the the uh, the biggest benefit that the economy, U.S. economy has right now is, is there's this incredibly strong job market. We continue to add hundreds of thousands of jobs to the economy every month. We keep pulling people off the sidelines and adding them to the workforce. We have 10.5 million job openings uh, in the economy right now, so the demand is out there. So uh, for that reason, we are, I won't say optimistic uh, in terms of avoiding this this type of a slow slowdown, but optimistic in terms of being able to rebound or uh, continue on a, a more positive growth path in the near term. So is this the kind of thing, a slow session, where politicians will sort of recognize that? And does it give them kind of an out if they don't want to admit that we're in a recession? They could say, folks, we're not in a recession. We're in a slow session. I guess. But, you know, that, that's a bit cynical, right? <laughs> no, it's a lot cynical. <laughs> <laughs> it is. But at the same time, I mean, I, I think we want to reserve the word recession or that more... Uh, that that deeper uh, type of uh, downturn, right, where it is affecting uh, many different industries, where we are losing, you know, three, four million jobs. That's a typical type of uh, recession. So our outlook, our forecast doesn't call, call for that, you know, because we have so much strength in the labor market, because households have a lot of savings still pent up or socked away uh, from the pandemic. There are good reasons to believe that the economy definitely will slow, but it could avoid that that deeper type of uh, decline. 
All right. Thank you, uh, Chris Doritas, Deputy Chief Economist at uh, Moody's Analytics and the uh, new term that we're probably going to start hearing more of, slow session. You're listening to KNX In-Depth with Rob Archer. I'm Charles Felton. Facebook's parent company, Meta, has been hit hard with more than $400 million in fines by regulators in Europe who say the company violated privacy laws. So how exactly did it accomplish this? <laughs> Sean Toomer is a cybersecurity expert and an attorney specializing in cases involving cybersecurity, data privacy, data breach. Sean, thanks for being with us. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. So without getting too uh, bogged down in legalese, uh, if you can explain to our listeners, what is it that that uh, is the concern in terms of uh, Meta and Facebook and what the European Union felt it was doing wrong? Sure. So real big picture is, you know, these social media platforms, they make money off of advertising. And by sending targeted advertising to us, the consumers, um, and under the GDPR, the, the privacy law, which is really the most sophisticated one out there in the European Union, um, there, have, there has to be a basis for processing personal data. And, and processing it is uh, using our data to, to send us advertisements, among many other things. And there are six bases for processing data under the GDPR. One is consent, which requires under the GDPR an opt-in, which means you affirmatively say, yes, I want you to do this. Um, Another basis is performing a contract. Here in the US, we don't require opt-in. We say you have to provide notice and opt-out very big difference. Okay, so Sean, am I right then that what was going on in Europe is that in Europe you have to, and we're talking about when you go and and you Google something, uh, say, and then Facebook ends up shoving ads in your face for the thing you've you've been looking at, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and so what you're saying, I think, is that in Europe, uh, you have to uh, agree to that, whereas in our country, in the U.S., uh, you have to actually disagree with that in order to to avoid it. Is that it? That's that is a key difference, and right. because it's so difficult to get people to say yes, send it to me. They they said we're doing this under the basis of a contract that when you sign up for this service, you agree that we should do this for you, and your contract gives us that right. And what the the EU um, Data Protection Authority said is, nope, that contract is not the basis. You have to get affirmative user consent and or opt in to do it. And that's that's the real big challenge right there. And as you you point out, they do that as different from Europe than it is in the United States. What would it take? How many laws would have to change in the United States uh, to to make that the model uh, here and and would the companies, given all the power they have with lobbyists, would they allow that to go through? Well, so we're seeing an evolution of how this is all working here in the U.S. as well. We're just trailing the EU by a few years. So this was based upon 20, 2018 activity. There are subsequent cases in the EU uh, for this, right? O- over more recent activity, but. In the U.S., I think we're going to see more of this type of activity or or these actions against 
Meta and Google and companies like that. Um, they're going, it, it's not so much that the laws have to change, it, and they are changing to more model these, these EU laws. It's just a year by year process. But you've got to have a regulator that is empowered the way the regulator in the EU is. But but but, yeah, yeah, but, here, but here's but but here's the thing though, Sean. Um, and and tell me if I'm wrong about this. Um, you know the whole business model. It may surprise people to learn, like you know, Facebook really doesn't care about your vacation in <laughs> in Bermuda. Uh, their whole business model is based on selling your information to advertisers so that they can deliver those advertisers, uh, you know, that they, they can deliver those eyes, your eyes, to those those ads, right? So if you make it more difficult, as the European Union is now doing, and if you make it more difficult, as, as many people hope the U.S. will do, doesn't that kind of destroy their entire business model? Yeah, that's the rub. I mean, at some point, we're saying we want you to give us this free service, yet we don't want you to get any of the benefits from giving us this free service. Um, and at some point, these companies are going to say, well, OK, fine, then you're not going to get it. And they actually threatened that for a little while in the EU while this this was pending. They said, well, we're just going to quit providing our services in the EU because we can't provide it to you if you're not willing to give us this information. And so ultimately, we as consumers, you know, we're going to have to realize that, you know, to, to get the product, you know, either we're going to have all of our rights and, and we're not going to get the product or to get the product, we're going to have to agree. Yeah, you can send me this advertising. Um, I don't know how they're going to continue to stay in business otherwise. All right. Sean Tuma, thank you so much for joining us. Cybersecurity expert and attorney specializing in casings, uh, cases involving uh, data privacy, cybersecurity, and data breach. By the way, I just want to point out the yeah. House has adjourned. Uh, so we still have no Speaker of the House. So no official business can take place in the House. Well, and, and as our guest earlier said, uh, Essentially, no House of Representatives exactly, because so. they haven't even sworn in the new members that were voted for. I, I don't know if you remember this, uh, but, uh, Rob, your, your parents may have said the same. I remember my parents saying to me, if you watch too much TV, mm-hmm. it's going to rot your brain. Yeah. And and look at me now. Yeah. Well, maybe I shouldn't go there. <laughs> uh, well, we're my, totally fine. <laughs> yeah, we're absolutely fine. Well, now parents are telling kids too much time on the computer or smartphones. Bad for you. And the, the parents might actually be right in this case. A new study finds frequently checking social media platforms may lead to long-term changes in adolescent brain development. Here explained uh, is study co-author Maria Mazza. She's a, 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 a doctoral student in psychology at the University of North Carolina. Thank you so much for joining us. So what is the uh, – and, and the reason I kind of ask, I've, I'm skeptical about this because, uh, as, as Charles pointed out, we grew up with TV's going to rot your brains and, uh, you know uh, – Maybe our brains are rotted. I don't know. It, yeah, the it evidence doesn't feel is, like the they evidence are. is still out in that. Yeah, one, you know. and uh, but is is social media really rotting, uh, quote unquote, the brains of our teenagers? That's a good question. So, in order to answer that, I'm going to start with a little bit of background information about adolescence, which is a unique period that teens go through, um, where there's a lot of changes within their brains that help prepare them for the transition into adulthood. 
And one of the changes that happens is that they start seeking out more social interactions, particularly with their peers. Now, the unique thing about social media platforms is that they allow teens to have constant access to social feedback, essentially whenever they want to. You know, at any point, they can pick up their phones and open an app and be able to see all sorts of social information, which to them may be rewarding. So what we wanted to do was explore how um, the frequency of um, checking behaviors among adolescents, meaning how often you check different social media platforms, is related to their brain development over time. And what our study found was that young teens who check social media habitually, meaning they're checking more than 15 times per day, become more and more sensitive to expected social feedback over time. Um, in other words, the teens might be becoming more attuned to social rewards and punishments. Um, however, teens who do not check social media as often become less sensitive to the same social feedback over time. Okay, so so you're going to have to translate that. So so when you say first of all, fifteen more than fifteen times a day. I mean, most people that age are checking their phones like fifteen times a minute, let alone fifteen times a day. So what is it exactly you mean by what you just said? Yes. Yeah, so when you check social media, it's the act of opening a platform. A lot of the times, um, adolescents don't check as often. They do check for long periods of time, though, you know, so you will open up uh, Instagram, for example, and then spend a little time scrolling on it. Um, but oftentimes we found that the um, that not everybody, a lot of kids actually did not check more than 15 times per day. Um, however, what the results show us is that they're is a correlation between the checking behaviors on social media and brain development. However, um, we don't have enough information as of right now with this study to be able to determine any causal claims. So this doesn't help um, show us whether social media is ne necessarily negative or necessarily positive. But are you, are you but Maria, but are you talking about, when you talk about brain development, just to be clear, are we talking about the psychological development of teenagers' brains? Or are you actually talking about a physical uh, change uh, or effect on the brain itself? Yes, we're not actually talking about physical changes. We're talking about functional changes, about changes in how the brain responds to information from around the, the environment that the teens are in. So, for example, what we're observing is, a, is an increased sensitivity to social information in teens who, who check more, um, more habitually. And what this could mean is that in the future, they could have future compulsive social media checking behaviors. However, it could also be an adaptive mechanism that is helping them navigate social interactions online, which might be really important because the world is becoming increasingly digital for them. I, uh, you know, I wanted to ask you something about uh, because it sounds like this is kind of like peer pressure on steroids uh, with checking the social media, especially among their peers. I mean, back in the olden times, it was peer pressure. They're going to make you, you know, drink or, or, or smoke pot or listen to loud rock and roll uh, because of peer pressure. But uh, but using social media, I'm starting to see that this might just be uh, peer pressure like to the likes of which we haven't seen before. It definitely is an unprecedented type of social interaction. Um, I think it's a very unique context that we're seeing, which is shaping and transforming maybe how social interactions are taking place. Um, but a lot of the times kids who are on them are on them 
by their own volition. They want to be on them. They want to be engaging with their adolescents, um, with other peers, and be being able to have those social conversations. I guess the bottom line, right, is, I mean, ch things change for lots of reasons. Uh, but there are good changes and there are bad changes. And mm -hmm. there are changes, I suppose, that, that don't really amount to much. Right. Is, is your study uh, implying that this change is potentially a bad one or a good one or maybe of, of you know, a neutral one? That's a really good question. Our study and one of the big limitations of our study is that we didn't actually link it to any outcomes in terms of social or emotional gains or even academic performance. So we are unable to say whether these changes are good or bad, but there's a possibility that they are both. They are good for some. They are bad for some. They are good sometimes. They are bad sometimes. And I think more information needs to be done to better um, differentiate these outcomes. All right. Thank you. Uh, study co-author Maria Mazza, doctoral student in psychology at the University of uh, North Carolina. And Charles, when I grew up, I listened yeah. to I listened to a lot of that loud uh, demonic rock and roll. You did. And I am perfectly fine. Well, that's questionable, but <laughs> you know, you know, before before you when you were, when you were talking and you were saying that in the old days, I was wondering if you were going to go like I don't know, like the biblical times. Yeah. <laughs> what, what were the what were the old days? Not not quite that old. Not that back old. back okay. before radio had speakers. Okay, and we had to go door to door to deliver the news. This has been today's <laughs> edition of uh, KNX in Depth. We will be back tomorrow.